Father, I just thank you for this passage today. Lord, give us wisdom to understand. Lord, you promise that you will send your Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us into all truth. So I pray that you will do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to step back today and look at the big picture. We're going to be talking about the tribulation. So in the last, well, a few weeks ago, we spent a couple of weeks just defining what the rapture is and going through the scriptural evidence that it happens before the tribulation begins, like at the end of the church age. Today, we're going to define what the tribulation is according to scripture. And it's pretty important because the tribulation, if you don't get this right, it affects your entire interpretation of scripture like for example some people believe that the tribulation has already happened and it happened at the time when jesus was here and they think that when jesus died on the cross that's the midpoint of the tribulation other people see the tribulation as being figurative or allegorical and already have been fulfilled in the time of the roman empire or in history and other people like myself, see it as still being future. So what we need to do is go back to the scriptures and say, all right, what do the scriptures say about the tribulation? And we're going to ask some questions about the tribulation. I'll get into that later. But we want to know what the scriptures say about the tribulation and get a scriptural understanding of the tribulation. So firstly, I'm just going to step back and start with something easy, and that is, the outline of the book of Revelation. So, Revelation one nineteen, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And so the part one is Revelation chapter 1. Jesus reveals himself to John. Part two is Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, which represents the church age chronologically through those seven eras of the church and we're in the last era now, the Laodicean church, the compromising church overall. And part three, and the things which will take place after this, Metatelta, and that's broken up into several smaller segments there, but it's all after the church age. That's an important point there. After these things is all after the church age. So these things are all future, the rapture, the church being taken up to heaven, the seven-year tribulation period, the second coming of Christ, the thousand-year rule and reign of Jesus Christ on earth, and then the great white throne judgment, and then in Revelation 21-22, the new heavens and new earth. So as I said, before we start chapter 6, which is actually the events in the tribulation, we need to understand when the tribulation occurs. So we need to establish a biblical or scriptural basis for the tribulation being seven years and coming after the church age. And as I said, there's a lot of confusion concerning what the tribulation is and when it happens. So, just a, something for next week. Next week, I'm going to give you an overview of the entire seven-year tribulation, starting in chapter 6. And I'm going to show you how to read the book of Revelation before we actually start, because it makes it really easy to understand. So, some chapters in Revelation carry the story forward chronologically. Like this happens and this happens and this happens. And some chapters stop and they go back, right back into other parts of the Bible and they explain who the main characters are. 
what the main events are and what the main organizations are where they came from. So basically it tells you how all these people and organizations and things fit into the story. And like the rest of the book of Revelation, they draw heavily from other parts of the Bible. So you have to go back to the other parts of the Bible to figure out what they are talking about. But that's next week. So that's really interesting. But first, for example, how do we know that the tribulation will be seven years long, that the events from Revelation 6 to 19 will happen over a period of seven years, and then it happens at the end of the church age? Well, previously we have studied the dispensations, and I'll put that up for you. That's this chart here. So basically, just to revise the seven dispensations, it's usually referred to as the seven dispensations. You have creation, and from creation to the fall, we call that the age of innocence. And then from the fall of man, when Adam sinned, up until the flood, we call that the age of conscience. And then from the flood, until Abraham was called, we have that covenant that God made with man, and he gave humans government. He gave us government. And capital punishment was the, the foundation of human government. Then from Abraham to Moses, we have the age of promise. And then from Moses through to the cross, through to Jesus, we have the age of the law, the old covenant. And then from the cross, from Jesus, we until the rapture, we have the age of grace. It's a church age. That's where we are now. And then the rapture, and then very soon after the rapture, the seven-year tribulation begins. And then Jesus Christ returns at the end of the tribulation and establishes his kingdom which lasts for a thousand years and then there's eternity future with the new heavens and new earth. So one of the things to remember with the dispensational view of scripture is that it consistently applies a literal interpretation of scripture, especially Bible prophecy. And Israel and the church are separate. So Israel and the church are separate. The church is not Israel. The promises given to Israel have not been transferred to the church. God is still going to use Israel. He has not finished with Israel. And that's one of the big things we're going to learn today. So, as I was saying before, a knowledge of this big picture of this big picture view of the Bible is essential to be able to understand and correctly interpret scripture, especially prophecy. So I've done this before when we went through Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, so I'm not going to do it again, but you can get that as a podcast or download from the website, calvarychapelestimates.com.au. All I'm going to do today <laughs> is quickly look at the church age, the age of grace, and how it is different to the age of law. So that's the only thing I'm going to touch on with this dispensation thing. And this will fit in later on as we go through the tribulation. Did you realize that there's nothing written about the church age in the Old Testament? Nothing. There's nothing written in the Old Testament about Christ being in us either. So this church age and the whole thing about the Holy Spirit living in us is brand new. And the first mention we get of the church is where? Where's the first mention of the church? 
when Jesus mentions the church. There's a big hint. When did Jesus first mention the church? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where he says, Upon this rock I will build my church. And that's really the first time that Jesus starts talking about the church as such. So the church age actually begins with the miracle of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in and upon every believer in Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. And this was unique. It was something that had never happened before. Did you realize that in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant or the law, dispensation of law, only a select few were chosen to receive the Holy Spirit upon them, usually prophets and kings, like King David. Um, he had the Holy Spirit upon him. And all the prophets, they had the Holy Spirit upon them who worked through them. They were given the ability to lead and to rule and to guide and to teach. But it was only on a temporary basis. And that's why when you read in Psalm 51, when David is praying after his sin with Bathsheba and planning her husband Uriah's murder, he said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. So in the Old Testament, you could have the Holy Spirit go away from you. And that happened to his predecessor, Saul, King Saul. The Spirit was taken from him and was put onto, or he was put onto David. So David understood that this was a real privilege and that it was the most valuable thing that God could give him. God actually dwelt upon him, empowering him for service. So David didn't want to lose God's presence and empowering from his life. However, in the church age, to pray that same prayer, take not your Holy Spirit from me, would be an insult to God because God has promised that from the moment you become a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and will never leave you. God will never take the Holy Spirit away from us in the church age. So even if we are out of fellowship, God doesn't take the Holy Spirit away. So here's a verse that shows that. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So here we have by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. That sealed means it's like a guarantee, like a down payment. And here we have the Holy Spirit in us until the day of redemption. What's the day of redemption? When we get our resurrection body the day of the rapture basically or when we go to be with the Lord so we're with the Lord then so it doesn't matter but while we're here on this earth we will always have the Holy Spirit in us even though we grieve him so that's a comfort isn't it that we still will always as a Christian have the Holy Spirit in us even though we grieve him So all believers have the Holy Spirit in us, but it says not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so the idea is that the Holy Spirit can be grieved by willful sin in our lives, but he doesn't leave. Now, let's move on to the tribulation. We are about to find out where the seven-year tribulation comes from in the Bible and answer at least five specific questions. So here are the questions I'd like to answer today. One, what scriptures refer to the tribulation? Two, how long is a tribulation? Three, when does a tribulation occur? Four, what does it have to do with Israel? And five, what are the main prophecies that must be fulfilled during this seven-year period?
assuming it is a seven-year period. So once we have answered these questions, the book of Revelation will make a whole lot more sense and it will be much easier for you to understand as you have the background to it. The main passage, so I'll answer the first question now, what scriptures refer to the tribulation, one of the main ones, or the main one, is Daniel 9, 24-27. That's what you've got in front of you on that sheet. And Daniel 9, 24-27 is like the edge of the jigsaw puzzle. Like it gives you the boundary of the jigsaw puzzle, and so you know where all the other pieces fit in once you have that boundary all filled out. It's being called the backbone of biblical prophecy. All the messianic prophecies relate to this one prophecy, this 77's prophecy. So I'm not going to do a complete verse-by-verse exposition of, of Daniel because that'll take the whole time. But I'm just going to pull out the main points that refer to the tribulation. If you want to know or have the verse-by-verse teaching on this, you just go back to our Daniel study and you can get it from there. Look at Daniel chapter 9 on the podcast or the website. So I'm also going to give you a chart. And these charts are from Always Be Ready. And that's a really good website to go to. So you can peruse this at your leisure. But what we're going to go through firstly is the verses that I've given to you. So let's read Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. It says, Seventy weeks, sevens or sabbaths, are determined for your people and for your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince, who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week... He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So, just going to go through bits of this. So, if you go back to verse 24, it says, 70 weeks are determined or decreed for your people and for your holy city. So, this prophecy concerns two things. What are they? Looking at that verse. Yep, your people is the people of Israel. Daniel was an Israelite. And what else? Jerusalem, your holy city refers to Jerusalem. Good. So, this whole prophecy concerns two things, the people of Israel and Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. Now, what about the 70 weeks? Now, in the Hebrew calendar, they had weeks of days and weeks of years. Now, we also have weeks of days. If I say two weeks ago, how many days ago was that? It's 14 days. It's two lots of seven, right? Well, the Hebrews count in weeks of days, but they also count in weeks of years. 
which is something that we don't do. We count in decades, we count in tens. So I might say the 70s, oh, this happened in the 80s, in that 10-year period, but the Hebrews don't do that. I'll give you an example. Leviticus 25 verse 8, And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. So you see how the Jews, they count by sevens in years? So therefore the weeks in Daniel 9, 24-27 are literally groups of seven or heptads. The weeks there actually means sevens. So it's literally sevens, heptads. And in the context of the rest of the chapter, it gives you what it means. Is it days, is it weeks, or is it years? And here it means years because the context is Daniel understanding that the captivity is for 70 years. Years. So Daniel would have understood this to be 70 sabbatical years with one sabbatical year every seven years. So that's 70 times seven years. So that's why it says in verse 24 70 weeks, 70 sevens, okay? 70 groups of seven years. So just to remind us and to further explain that the context of Daniel chapter 9 is Daniel asking God about the future of Israel. What is going to happen to the nation of Israel in the future? Now God had put them into Babylon because they had failed to keep 70 sabbatical or rest years, and that's really important to God. The nation of Israel, did you realize this? The nation of Israel was commanded by God not to sow or reap every seventh year. But they had never done it. They had been in the promised land for 490 years, but never once kept the seventh year as a year of rest. Not a day of rest, but a year of rest. I think I would have liked that culture. (laughs) A year off work. Every seven years you get a year off. Not only a day off every week, but a year off every seven years. So where do you find that? That's in Leviticus 25, 1-5. It says, While Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land I am giving you, the land must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. For six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. And don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. So, according to the law, they were not to plant their fields or do any other work on the seventh year. They were supposed to trust the Lord that he would provide enough on the sixth year to get it through the seventh year. A bit like Joseph and Egypt. You know, God gave him enough in the first seven years to get through the next seven years of famine. And the manna in the wilderness, they had to collect double on the sixth day to have enough for the seventh. So they were supposed to trust the Lord and spend their time learning about the Lord and praising the Lord and talking to each other about the scriptures. He's giving them a break to do that. And 
One of the purposes is to show their faith to the nations that God is real. I mean, the other nations would think they're crazy. What do you mean you're not going to plant crops this year? You know, how are you going to get by? What are you going to eat? Well, God's going to provide for us. He's going to make us give us bumper crops in the sixth year, and they're going to last until the following year, or the year after the following year. And this is important to God because it was a part of why God created the nation of Israel. They were basically created to be a witness to all the other nations that were trying to push God out of the memory. Like all the other nations were getting more and more wicked, but God was trying to use Israel to be a witness to those evil nations. So after 490 years of not doing that, just as God warned them through the prophet Jeremiah, he caused them to go into captivity, into Babylon. Now, if you're being disobedient for 490 years and there's a sabbatical year of rest every seven years, how many sabbatical years have you missed out? Can you do division? 70, yeah. So the 70 sabbatical years they missed out on. 70 years where they planted their crops when they shouldn't have planted their crops. Therefore, God said, right, you were disobedient for those 70 years, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And this is where verse 24 comes in again. 77s, 70 lots of seven years. It's 70 sabbatical years. And a sabbatical year is every seven years. So basically, 70 times 7 is 490 years. So basically, you can sum up the history of the nation of Israel as when they get into the land, there's 490 years until the captivity, there's 70 years of captivity, and then you've got another 490 years allocated to the nation of Israel. And so this is all about the nation of Israel. Then Daniel goes on to, in the rest of verse 24, explain six things that will be accomplished, but we're not going to go through those today. You can look that up on the other messages. Then we're going to go to verse 25. It says, Know therefore and understand that from, and I put that in bold for you, the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until, again that's in bold, Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So basically the seven weeks is as the city was being built and the 62 weeks is the time following that until Jesus comes back, until Messiah the Prince. So these two little prepositions are very important. From is when the clock starts ticking and until is where it stops. And we're going to go into why there's this break in this last 490 years. So think about it this way. 62 plus 7 is 69. We're one week short of the 70 weeks. Does that make sense? We're one week short of the 70 weeks. And this is why, just a little aside here, this is why the verbal inspiration of Scripture, that is, every word was inspired, not just overall thoughts came from God, but every word came from God. 
we must take scripture literally where possible. If we believe in the verbal inspiration of scripture, we must take it literally where possible. And so we just take this as it's written. Now, some people say, but there's symbols in prophecy. Yes, but those symbols have a literal meaning, and therefore prophecy overall can be taken literally. And all the prophecies that have been fulfilled so far have been fulfilled literally, even if they're represented by symbols. So most of the time it's possible by cross-referencing other scriptures to find the actual literal meaning of the symbols used in prophecy. So back to our text these important prepositions. If you haven't underlined in your Bible, I would. The prepositions from and until in verse 25. So from the command until the Messiah, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks or groups of seven years. So that's 483 years. Now, again, notice that we're missing seven years. In verse 26, if you want to go down, highlight the word, or I put that in bold, it says after. So it says, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah is going to be cut off. So again, from, back in the previous verse, starts the time clock ticking for this allotted time of 490 years. It's the decree that's issued to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And we know, I'm not going to go into it now because we've covered this before. It's in the Daniel series. But we know exactly when it was given and by who. Uh, it was given by Artaxerxes Longmaeus of Persia. And that started the 490-year allotment of time ticking. So exactly 483 years later, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, these are years represented by 360 days. Back in the time, in the Babylonian Empire, one year was 360 days. So if you do your maths, it's 483 years, 360 days in each year. It's 173,880 days. So guess what? If you put the dates together, again, I'm not going to go through the details now. You put the dates together, from the time the decree was given to the time that Jesus rode in the donkey, it was exactly... 173,880 days. And the decree is given in Nehemiah 2. So if you want to learn more about that, listen to the Daniel study. And I've got a handout for that as well. I'll give it to you later on. So the triumph for entry represented the exact day that the Messiah would be revealed. And you realize that before that day, Jesus refused to be made king. You remember that they tried to make him king a couple of times? After he fed them with the loaves and fishes and that, as an example, he said, they said, you be her king. He said, no. And he refused to let the demons speak, and he kept everything quiet. He, wanted, he kept everything low-key. But on the day prophesied by Daniel, people said, hey, Jesus, what are you doing? All the people are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David. And Jesus says, well, if they don't say anything, the rocks and start speaking, you know. This was the day what was prophesied when the Messiah would be presented to the people. Now, as we said in verse 26, it says after. So after what? After Jesus rides in on the donkey. Okay? It's after the 173,880 days. 
And so after this, verse 26 tells us that two important things will happen. One, Jesus will be cut off. And two, this city and the sanctuary, Jerusalem and the temple, will be destroyed. So cut off in Hebrew is an idiom for being put to death, for being executed. So it says that after that exact time period, sometime after, the Messiah would be executed. And we know that after Jesus rode in the donkey, it was one week, seven days, okay, until he was crucified. And as you know, uh, Zechariah 9.9 says that Jesus would come riding on a donkey. That was also predicted. Now, in verses 26 and 27, we're just going to read part of that because I want to focus in on that second event. The first event we know is the Messiah being cut off, dying on the cross. But the second event, in verses 26, is, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So, when was Jerusalem destroyed? When was the temple destroyed? AD 70. Okay. So this tells us something really important, because I'm making this assumption that the time clock stopped ticking when Jesus rode into the donkey. And one of the reasons for this is, if the time clock did keep on ticking, then it would have been over, the period or time allocated to Israel would have been over way before AD 70. Because AD 70 is 37 years past the crucifixion. Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to show is that there's a gap between the 69 weeks and the 70th week. So on your chart you can see that in the middle there's a church age. So it says after, so after the end of the 69 weeks, there's two events take place. And then if you go down to verse 27, it says, Then he shall confirm with many for one week. Now, what do those weeks mean again? Seven years. Okay. He's going to confirm a covenant for seven years. So in verse 26, it says, after the 62 weeks, these two things will happen. And then in verse 27, it says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So basically what happens is the clock starts ticking again. This is the last seven years. So God has allocated 490 years for the people of Israel from the time that decree is given to rebuild Jerusalem and the walls. 483 years has already passed up to the time Jesus rode in the donkey. There's been a break. We're still in the break. There's a pause. The clock hasn't restarted yet. There's going to come a time when he's going to press the go button again and it's going to keep going. That the last seven years will happen. So then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So this, again, here is our missing seven years. Not missing, but it's just it's not part of the first 483 years. There's a gap. Now, Luke 19, 41 to 44. 
Jesus refers to this prophecy. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is rebuking them for not understanding Daniel's prophecy, because you did not know the time of your visitation. In other words, the time the very day that the Messiah would be presented to Israel as their king. He said this bit in that last week. Because this is past tense, you did not know. Yeah. So this is uh, in the last week of Jesus' life, after he's ridden in on the donkey. And notice also what Jesus says in verses 43 and 44. For days will come upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment around you, who's his enemies? The enemies of the Jews are the, the Romans. They're the occupying force, the occupying government or kingdom. They will surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And that literally happened. They completely destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. And what does it remind you of? Daniel 9.26. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So Jesus is again referring to Daniel's prophecy. Daniel's prophecy is the backbone of all these other things. And a few days after the triumphant entry, Jesus said in Matthew 23 verses 37 to 39, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, do you remember what the disciples said? When Jesus was about to be taken up to heaven, Lord, when are you going to establish your kingdom? And he said, it's not for you to know. But here, Jesus is saying, you're not going to see me anymore talking to the nation of Israel, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, until they accept him as the Messiah. So there's more evidence of this gap between the first 69 weeks and the last week, the last period of seven years. So God, Jesus will come back and at the end of the 70th week, at the end of the tribulation, he'll come to Petra and the people there, the Jews, will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, more evidence for this gap. Romans eleven twenty-five. It says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. He's talking to the church. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. They have been blinded. But this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ, which is the end of the church age. So that's another evidence that the church age is mystery. That's what he's referring to there, this mystery. The church is the mystery, not referred to in the Old Testament. 
the people of Israel have been blinded. That's what the book of Romans says in chapters 9 through 11. Won't go through it now. But they've been blinded temporarily. But God is going to reinstate them as his. He's going to use them again. And it's going to happen in this last seven year period. We'll go back into that later. Now, in verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9, it says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And remember, this is all referring back to the tribulation. This is still a part of the 77s prophecy. The nation of Israel still has one seven or set of seven years allotted to them to finish the purposes for which God created them for as a nation. Now, they fulfilled many of those purposes, but one purpose they never fulfilled, they never completed, was evangelizing the world. They did a terrible job. They pushed people away. They discouraged people from coming, mostly. So they have never actually fulfilled their purpose of being a light unto the Gentiles. God promised that they would be a light to the Gentiles, but they had never been a light unto the Gentiles in a worldwide sense. So who is this he who confirms a covenant with many for one week? Well, in any language, to find out who the pronoun is talking about or is referring to, you have to go back to the last person in context that is named. And as you go back on these verses, the last person in context who is named is... In verse 26, the prince who is to come. So it's the people of the prince who is to come who destroy the temple. Who are they? The, the Romans. So the prince who is to come, referring to the Antichrist, must be descended from the Romans. Does that make sense? All right. So the Antichrist is going to be descended from the Romans because it was the Roman armies that destroyed Jerusalem. Not the Messiah, but the prince who was to come, the Antichrist, must be of Roman descent. You know, Jesus was a Jew, he wasn't Roman. Okay. Verse 27 continues But in the middle of the week of that last seven years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So, what does this tell you? How do you put an end to sacrifice and offering? What's it referring to? The temple. That's where they do the sacrifices. Are the Jews doing sacrifices and offerings today? No, because there's no temple. So for this to be true, or for this to actually happen or to be fulfilled, first you need to build a temple. So it tells us very clearly in verse 27, it says it's in the middle of the week. Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 splits this last seven-year period, this 70th week, into two halves, three and a half years and three and a half years. It says in the middle. So right in the middle. And did you realize that there's more scripture, I think there's more scripture written about this short period of time, this seven years, than any other similar period in the Bible? So the book of Revelation is talking about this period, and we're going to read later about the Antichrist to finally the temple and, and there's other prophecies. Jesus predicted it, Paul predicted it, that it's going to happen in the future. And it all comes back to 
Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations. Okay, so he's going to defile the holy of holies. So, here we have it. First, the church, which is every living believer, is going to be snatched out of the world. Then, right after the rapture, the Antichrist will be revealed or unveiled, and he will immediately mesmerize the world. And when we get into chapter 6 of Revelation next week, the first seal is the revealing of the Antichrist. And I think that the world will be going through really tough times. We're already in tough times, but it's going to get worse. The Bible says the birth pangs are going to get stronger and more frequent. The pain we're going to go through as a world is going to be worse. There's more disease, more war, more suffering, more famine, until the time when the church is taken away. Good news for us. As we talked about when we went through the rapture, I don't believe we're going to be here. God is going to deliver us from that. So here, because the church is gone, this is where God is going to fulfill his prophecy of why he created Israel, or fulfill his purpose of why he created Israel. They are going to accomplish what God created them for, to be a light to the Gentiles. And they are going to do in seven years what they haven't done in the whole history. They are going to evangelize the whole world. And we're going to read in the book of Revelation in chapter 7, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. You remember who Billy Graham is? He was you know, a famous evangelist, thousands and thousands, probably millions of people to Christ. Well, the Bible says there's going to be 144,000 very special Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from each tribe. They're going to be specially anointed and specially gifted and protected. They're all going to make it through to the end of the tribulation. And we'll see that, as I said, in chapter 7. But this is the purpose of the nation of Israel in the tribulation. They are going to be a light to the Gentiles. And the second reason that God is going to use these terrible events in the tribulation, the judgment, is to drive the Israelites to despair. They will finally look up and see who the real Messiah is. Zechariah 12.10 says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me, whom they have pierced, and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as a firstborn son who has died. So this is where the nation of Israel, as a nation, is going to repent, and they're going to come to Christ. They rejected Moses the first time, and then they accepted him the second time. They rejected Joseph the first time, and then accepted him the second when they came later. And they rejected Jesus the first time, and they're going to accept him the second time. So the pattern is there throughout the scripture. So it's all pre-written, everything that's going to happen in the future. When Jesus comes back to the earth with the church, the Jews will see Jesus' wounds. Remember we talked last week about his body, his glorified body still bearing the wounds of his crucifixion, the scars of his crucifixion. So they're going to see that, and they're going to have this understanding. That was our fault. We did that. Now, I'm not saying it was the Jews. Jesus died on the cross for my sin and your sin. So it was me who put him on the cross. But the Jews realized as a nation they rejected their Messiah. Now, 
Daniel says it's going to be seven years. Is there anything in the book of Revelation that tells us that it's going to be seven years? Well, yes, there is. Let's go to Revelation 11, verses 2 and 3. So don't remember all the details, just look at the time. There's two time stamps here. So I'll read it to you. It's Revelation 11, 2 and 3. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So firstly, how long is 42 months? Can you work out how long 42 months is? How many years? So, one year is 12 months, two years 24, three years 36, another six months, half a year is 42 months. Now, that's 42 months, three and a half years. How long is 1,260 days, given that a year, the way the Bible uses a year, is 360 days? If you do your maths, it's three and a half years. So the 42 months when the Gentiles are going to tread Jerusalem underfoot is the second half of Daniel's 70th week, the second half of the tribulation period, the second half of the seven-year time period allotted to Israel that is yet to come. And the 1,260 days that the prophets preach in Jerusalem will be in the first half. So the first half of the tribulation is three and a half years long according to this, and the second half of the tribulation is three and a half years long. The prophets, the two witnesses, will prophesy for 1,260 days, that's three and a half years. Then comes the middle, and they're killed, we'll read that later, and they are called up to heaven. And then the Antichrist goes into the temple and does his thing there, as it says in Daniel, and then for 42 months, three and a half years, Jerusalem is trod underfoot by the Gentiles. Because the Antichrist turns his back, he breaks his covenant with Israel. Now, here's something that is going to spin you out a little bit. All right, it's mystified interpreters of prophecy for quite a while. I can't give you a definite answer, but I'm going to give you my best go. All right, it's Daniel 12, 11 and 12. And from the time that a daily sacrifice is taken away, remember that's halfway, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there should be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So, it's the second half of the tribulation. Why does it say 1,290 days? And blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Well, it's the second half because the Bible says in Daniel 9.27 that the Antichrist would cause sacrifice and offering to cease in the middle of the seven years. So the end of the tribulation period is 1,260 days. So why is there 30 days added? Why do we have an extra 30 days? Well, what does Matthew 25 tell us is going to happen when Jesus comes back? It's got something to do with sheep and goats. It's the judging of the nations, yes. So, there's lots and lots of people. It could take 30 days. 
So in that 30 days, quite a few people understand that or believe that when Jesus comes back at the end of the 1,260 days, at the end of the tribulation, the first thing he will do is judge. He will gather all the sheep on his right, the goats on his left, the believers on his right, the unbelievers on his left, and he will judge. Those who are not believers will go straight to hell, and those who are will go into the millennial kingdom. And he'll do the same for the Jews. Ezekiel 20, 30-34 tells us that he will do that for the Jews as well. They will pass under the rod, and that's a picture of judgment. So the Gentiles will be in one place and the Israelites another, judged. This is a segregation. There's a segregation of Jews and Gentiles. And again, this is evidence that the church is not going to be there. Because, and we've done this before, if the church is there, and it's still like a part of the church age, is there any difference between Jew and Gentile right now? There's no difference, is there? But here God is treating them very different. And that's because God is going to reinstate the whole sacrificial system. Israel is going to be God's chosen people or used as God's chosen people again. And you can see, if you want to know more about that particular thing, which is really interesting, the sheep and goat judgment, uh, the message on Revelation 4, 1-2, the rapture of the church, part 1. So, I believe that the gathering of these people in the 30 days after is basically why it happens. It's the 30 days is the time it takes to gather these people and judge them. And then in Daniel 12, 12, it says, Blessed is he who waits and comes to 1,335 days. So these are the people, I believe, who have gone through the judgment. They come through as believers and they will go into the millennial reign, the kingdom reign, that thousand-year rule and reign of Jesus Christ. So, Let's turn to Matthew 24, 15 to 22. We're coming to the end here. We can proving, I believe, why the tribulation must be after the church age. And it will be for seven years and we'll have the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist going into the temple and stopping worship uh, sacrifices at a halfway point. So this is Jesus' commentary on this passage in Daniel. So it's Matthew 24, 15-22. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Have you ever seen that before? Have you ever seen this postscript in a verse by the Holy Spirit? Whoever reads, let him understand. Knock, knock. Hang on. This is important. Yeah? All right. What is it talking about? Go back to Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering on the wing of abominations, the abomination of desolation. Then it continues, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house. And it continues on. And the abomination of desolation is also explained by Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the tribulation, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin, the Antichrist, 
is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Paul is telling us here that this man of lawlessness, the son of perdition or destruction, the Antichrist, will sit in the temple of God and claim to be God. This is the abomination that causes desolation. He also tells us in other places to sacrifice a pig and desecrate the Holy of Holies. So the abomination of desolation is a technical Jewish phrase. It's only happened a couple of times in history, and it means to desecrate the Holy of Holies. So this will be the ultimate desecration. When the Roman Antichrist declares himself to be God in the Holy of Holies in the temple, the temple that's not built yet. And remember that in verse 27 in Daniel 9, it will happen in the midpoint of the final seven-year period, the final week. So we've gone through all this to point out that this prophecy, the abomination of desolation, predicted by Daniel, Jesus, and Paul, hasn't happened yet. Does that make sense? Is that clear? This prophecy, this abomination of desolation, has not happened yet. Because there's no temple. Okay? And it didn't happen when the temple was standing. Okay? Paul wrote First Thessalonians in AD 52, and nothing happened in the temple from that time which would fill this prophecy. So what has to happen for this to become real, to be fulfilled? Well, the Jews need to become a nation again. Oh, I think that's already happened, hasn't it? 1948. What else needs to happen? Well, they need a new temple. That's ready. They're preparing for that. They've got everything they need. All the animals, all the clothes, all the implements, all the, the bits and pieces. The sacrificial system, once they get the go-ahead, once this covenant is signed, this agreement is signed, they can be going in no time at all. They're anticipating it. And in Revelation, chapter 11, guess what? It tells us that the temple of God will be rebuilt during the last week or seven years of the 490 years. Because it says to measure the temple. Okay, measure the temple. So why is this so important to get right? Well, there are some who say that the tribulation happened at the time of Christ. I was talking to someone just a couple of weeks ago who said that. They believe that. And I asked them, how can you believe that? And I went through this prophecy with them. And they go, well, it doesn't have to be literal. It can be figurative. Yeah, and figurative, it means whatever you want it to mean. Okay, allegorical. There are some who say the tribulation was fulfilled to happen during the time of the Roman Empire or in the in previous history. And there are some who say that the tribulation and the associated prophecies are only allegorical and are not real. And so you have different camps of Christians who believe different things. Which is why I'm spending a fair bit of time on this to get this right, because this is the backbone of biblical prophecy. It concerns the first and second coming of Christ. Our position, my position, is that this seven-year period, the tribulation, is future. Okay, It's future. It hasn't happened yet. And I believe that all prophecy must be fulfilled literally because all prophecy that has been already fulfilled has been fulfilled literally. 
And again, yes, prophecy contains symbols, but these symbols have a real and literal meaning. So, has that made a bit of sense? I'm just going to go through the questions. What scriptures refer to the tribulation? The main scripture? Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27. Yeah? How long is the tribulation according to Daniel and Revelation? Seven years, yeah? When does the tribulation occur? Has it already occurred or is it going to occur in the future? It's future because, why? Haven't built the temple, haven't fulfilled that prophecy of the abomination of desolation defiling the holy of holies. What does this prophecy have to do with Israel? Daniel 9.24 It's given to 70 weeks or sevens or sabbaths are determined or decreed for your people and for your holy city. Remember, Daniel was a Jew, so this is for the Jews and for Jerusalem. It's decreed for the Jews and Jerusalem, okay? So this has everything to do with Israel. And what are the main prophecies, especially one prophecy that must be fulfilled during the seven-year period? Starts with A. Abomination of desolation where the Antichrist goes into the temple and defiles the Holy of Holies and claims that he is God. So, Father, I thank you for allowing us to go through this. And yes, it is a little complicated, but Lord, it's really important that we get this down and, and get this nailed. Because if we don't, there's a lot of false beliefs out there, I believe, where Scripture is not taken literally. It's taken allegorically or figuratively. So I just pray that we can have this framework well established in our minds. And we can study the scriptures ourselves to show that these things are true. We can be noble, like the Bereans in Acts 17.11. Study the scriptures, search the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. Pray that the people here will study and see if what I've said is true as well. And they can be sure of what they believe and have a very common sense and logical framework to fit all the prophecies concerning the first and second comings of the Messiah into. So I just pray that you'll bless us. By your Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.